Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thanks, you guys, for letting us this morning. Mostly gals, I guess. You got gals and guys. The angels. How many of you guys watched Charlie's Angels when you were in like fourth grade? Yes. <laughs> Love that show. Thursday night. He's muted. He's maybe not his unit. Uh, I, just, I don't know what I ate, but it's coming through. <laughs> my, uh, my week has been kind of crazy. I've been down in Dallas. Have you heard of that? No. <laughs> it's south of here. My daughter was on this trip uh, to Nicaragua and meeting up with some people there at DMW and flying down. So I went with her and Amelia and the... Uh, I got to stay down there and do some stuff with my parents who were aging and needed a bit of help. So that was great. We had a good time together. And it was my first time to go back to the church that I used to work at. And I was there for 24 years. So it's been two and a half since I've been back. Um, it was really weird, you know, to be gone for so long and then show up. But it was, it was really wonderful. And I got to just sit there and just enjoy a lot of my friends, you know, doing ministry and seeing folks. It was great. Really have had a fun time, so uh, it's good to be back. Though it's, it's nice to meet you guys and be home. Uh, just really thankful to be here. And I took a picture. I'm ready to show you, but there's like a thousand people in each service there, so it's really different this <laughs> year. So it's great to be able to see and know almost all of you. It's a wonderful thing. One thing that happened on Sarah and Amelia's trip, I thought you really that was funny. Whenever you serve God, it's going to stretch you in ways that you don't expect. And the first night they were there, they had a, a long day of work, and they got back to the, the rooms that they were staying in. And uh, I probably should tell you before I say what happened. Sarah just does not like moths. It's just one of those things she hates. Okay? And she doesn't even like butterflies that much. And I don't know why, but that's what it is. And she got home. And in Nicaragua, things are you know, larger and grosser in a lot of ways. And there was a moth like this big on her pillow. Right on her pillow. In the middle of it. And she was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You know, and so she, she said she started laughing because she didn't know what else to do. And then she started to cry. <laughs> she cried so much that Amelia cried. <laughs> but I think it was a good way to kind of get the stuff out. And, you know, the moth flew away and everything was fine. But, uh, yeah, just know whenever you serve, whenever you God is going to surprise you with something. Anyway, we are in a series that uh, is about this. We're going through the book of Galatians. And so you can just open right there if you want to, if you've got your Bible or whatever you're using for that. We'll put this up on the board as well. Paul is doing this amazing thing, and I just want to keep bringing back to you each time that I get a chance to share with you about this. What he's doing, he's, he's holding the gospel up. And he's turning it all these different ways so that we can see it. Because the gospel is a very finite bit of information about what it is to know God. It's the story of reconciliation with God. It's how it happened, how it happens, how we come to understand it. It's all of that is that the information is the story of reconciliation. That's the gospel. That's that basic thing. And so he's going to show it to us all these different ways. The gospel is like... Every time you approach it, 
it comes, uh, it, it appears a different way. It's almost like a, if, if you're a musician and there's a song that is some work that someone did that you love that is just unbelievable. Every time you listen to it, you hear something different. It's still the same song, but there's this unbelievable beauty and complexity in that thing. It's in the lyrics, or the way the melody goes, an incredible bridge that's in the song, or to just the way it's composed. All, this, all of those things you can look at and say, that's that song, that's that thing. But the gospel, the gospel is the same way. You just, every time you look at it in a different way, there's some new beauty about it. And that's what Paul's trying to make sure we know it, that we understand it, that we grasp it, and hold on to it really tightly. So, in that process, Paul has been, when, when Paul talks, uh, as he builds his case for the gospel, uh, the way Paul writes is, it's almost like he has this main idea, and he's, he's bringing that main idea along through the book, or the letter that he's writing. But it, with Paul, it's like a pinball. You know, the pin, it's like, ding, 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 you know, it just goes all over the place. And you're trying to follow it. In this passage, I, I spent a lot of time with this in constantly like, okay, I'm not sure I, I'm there with this yet, because this is one of those places where he just goes all around. But he's still in this one area of thought. In uh, this time, this, this piece of what he, he's going to share with us about the gospel has more to do with the application of it in our lives than it does to do with the thing itself. Because what he's going to say is that Christians sometimes don't live according to the character that the gospel produces in them. Now, if you're a believer in here, then you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a believer, then you probably especially know what I'm talking about. But, but he gets to this place where he says, in the middle of the passage, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's kind of the, the focus around where we're going to spend our time. If you're a Christian, then Christ lives in you. If you're a follower of Christ, a true follower of Christ, then, then he lives in you. I spent some time really trying to think about that because to a Christian, to someone who's heard that or if you've been in church for a while or whatever, it, to say, hey, Christ lives in you, you're like, yeah, okay. But that's pretty churchy stuff because if somebody lives in you and you're not a Christian, that's kind of weird. Okay? If we're looking at it from the outside, we're trying to understand how someone outside the church would get it. What does it mean that someone lives in you? And we're going to examine that a little bit today, but let me just start by saying, when someone, when Christ lives in us, it doesn't mean that he takes us over and changes us and makes us something different. That it is not who we are. In fact, Lisa, you just mentioned that when you prayed. You said we have the privilege of serving and choosing to do so. Because he doesn't make us. He doesn't turn us into robots because he lives in us. What Jesus does is he fills that innermost need. He fills us. The deepest need that we have is relationship with God. And he fills us. It's, the, if you will, the God-shaped hole that Jesus steps in and fills. He, he brings us up to where we really can be who we are. It's not an overtaking. It's a filling. And that's a different idea when you're, when you're talking about what it is and it is when, when we are filled by Christ. But somehow, even though we are 
even though he lives within us, we somehow drift back into the place that we were before we became believers. And so uh, this, is the, this is the thing I want you to ask yourself. This is the thing I'm asking myself in, in relation to this idea. How do we experience Christ living in us? How do we experience that? That's the question. Uh, that is a reality that, that, as believers, we need to embrace and understand and experience. Uh, and I probably should say, uh, before we move any further, that if you, if you are a person who hasn't quite crossed the line of faith, and you're kind of going, okay, what is all this about? I'm not really sure. Uh, it's important, I think, today for you to realize that this is one of those times where uh, what I'm asking you to do is kind of look in the window of Christianity. You know, like, there are the Christians in their house, and the windows and the lights are on. And I can hear what they're saying. I'm going to look in there and see that and kind of try to understand what's going on. That's, that's what this is, because I'm really talking to believers today. And so there's this problem that we have. The problem is that we want to have one foot in, in our old life and who we were, and we want to have one foot in the life that we are, in, in the life that we have in Christ. And we, we vacillate and or we have a split personality on us. We're strapping this thing. And Paul admits to that. Let me, uh, let me read this with you. In Galatians 2, 17. <clears throat> but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, I, I, here's what I suspect, is that as I read that, there were moments where you were like, oh yeah, I get that. And then there were moments where you were like, what? Because he's moving around with these deep ideas. And it's so easy to skim through this and say, oh yeah, okay. You know, I'll get the main idea out of that. Um, <clears throat> Paul is telling us about really deep, important things here. But in the process of explaining this stuff, what he's doing is he's saying, as a Christian, it's easy for me to uh, try to rebuild what once was, to try to be to to do the things that I used to do. And now, and that, that's what happens now as a believer. I'm stuck in both worlds now. And, he, and he's being honest. I think it's really cool that Paul is, is saying that to us. But what he's going to offer for us is to help us understand how is it that we experience what it is to have Christ live in us. And so I want to ask three questions about how do we experience that. Three questions to help us get there. Uh, number one is, are you straddling the line of faith? Are you straddling that thing? Going, trying to live in both worlds? Second question is, what are the markers of Christ alive in you? 
what markers are there so you can look at them and say, okay, these are, these are things that show me that Christ is alive in me. And then once we have that, then what? What do we do with that? So, let's start with, how can I tell if I'm straddling the line? Look at verse 17. It says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? I think we could translate that part where he says, where he says uh, if our in, in our endeavor to be justified, what that means is, is uh, if we're trying to do things to be approved by God. Okay? The endeavor to be justified is the same as trying to do things to please Him, right? To be in relationship with Him. If we're, if we're doing that, here's what can happen. We can wreck the reputation of Jesus. Okay. So one of the ways that we can tell if we're straddling the line is that we're endeavoring to be justified. We're doing the very thing we used to try to do. The thing that everybody agrees, almost everybody agrees, that we have to do in order to be in a relationship with God. We're endeavoring to be justified. And then he says, so if I'm trying to do that, is Christ a servant of sin? Is Christ sinful? In other words, see how deep this stuff is? It's <laughs> I feel like we're all like, uh, no offense, but elementary school students and, ele- and another elementary school students like, okay, let me tell you about When we when we seek we endeavor. He has internet connections. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? This this box. Testing, testing. So sorry. Here we go. <laughs> when when we endeavor, when we work to try to please God, to be in relationship with Him. It can, it can make it look like Jesus is messed up. See, when I endeavor to be justified in Christ, I'm a sinner because I do that. That is a sinful thing to try to work my way and please God. And when I do that, it makes Jesus look messed up. Paul says, is it true that Jesus is messed up because I'm messed up? Certainly not. Whenever Paul says certainly not, it's a little stronger than what I'm going to say here. Because Paul was one of those preachers who would cuss. Okay? Uh, I was with Scott Hargrove. Some of you know him, Scott Hargrove Jr. We were uh, in, in his town in Fort Collins for a couple of days. And Scott was telling me about a friend of his. It's a man. He's fully grown. He's a grandfather. And he will not have he will resist Jesus completely because of the experience he had when he was a child. And the experience was that his parents were so set on following rules to please God that they he he believed that the that the only way to please Jesus or be in a relationship was to to not do certain things. 
And that was something he didn't want to have anything to do with. And it crushed him because his parents were so about the rules and so about being at church every single time it was open. And you know the story. All of those things. Never drinking, always avoiding this, always doing that. That it, it crushed his spirit. But before I want to judge those parents, I have to realize that what Paul has just said in the passage before this, he has, he has confronted Peter, Barnabas, and James, the early church leaders, because they were doing that very thing. It's so easy for us to straddle the line and try to please God. It's just the most natural thing that we do. And I'll give away the end of the message, but no, following Jesus is about relationship. It's not about doing this. We naturally, and we just have to do away with that idea. Because what will happen is when Christians do away with the idea that we have to please God to be in relationship with Him, other people will see that and understand that they can know Him too. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a critical foundational thing to who we are in Christ. So, if we're endeavoring to be justified, if we're working to please God so we can be in relationship with Him, we've made the first mistake. And we're straddling the Another thing we can do to tell if we're straddling the line is to, to say, are we rebuilding what was torn down? Remember when Paul said that? It's in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So Paul's including himself in this whole problem. You know, Paul was like the perfect Jew. You, you follow the rules. This is how you know God. And, and he gave himself a right through that to judge other people who don't follow God well. Now, fortunately, no Christian ever does that. We never judge other people because they're not getting it right. I know none of us do. <clears throat> Paul was gifted at following the rules, and so it was really easy for him to slide back into that stuff. For him, it was rules. For us, it's other things. And each one of us has these things that we return to that are not indicative of the new character that we have in Christ. Every single one of us. I know you're all thinking of these different things, whatever they are. All of us are there. Paul was there. The early church leaders, the greatest you know, Christians, if you will, that ever were, were there. This is what's happening with them. And I've read this quote to you before. I'm sure I wrote this. But it says, what C.S. Lewis says, he says, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slump because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily You know, remember when Jesus has that interaction with the man who says, hey, I want to follow you. He says, well, to follow me, you have to be born again. So when we move into this relationship with Jesus, when he fills us, we are born again. It's a, it's a whole new thing that starts there. And so the mud pies don't have to please us anymore, even though we continue to return to them and try to fill ourselves up. So there's one thing we do where we, we try to follow rules to meet please God. And another thing we do that is just returning to the thing that we know. The thing that we're that we think say on. That's just a part of who we are. And here's another way we know that if we're straddling the line. There is a sense of discomfort. There should be a sense of discomfort if we are not if we're straddling the line between following Christ and living in our, in our old self. All of us, if we're believers, have felt that. What is going on? Why am I doing this? 
Why is this action part of my life? There should be discomfort when we're straddling something that's this important and this important. We should feel it. And, and it should, I, our prayer is it would drive us to the, uh, to the side of this, being filled with Christ and knowing the grace that's within Him. So, uh, one thing we do is we straddle lines. Another thing we do uh, that we need to check with ourselves is what are the markers of Christ in our life? If we know what it's like if we're straddling, what is it to, to, uh, to know that Christ is in you? What are, the, what are some things that, that, that are revealed in that? And Paul gives us some idea. One is kind of a strong thing that he says in verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, even though I do this stuff, I've been crucified with Christ. And here's another thing that if you've been in the church for a while, you're like, Okay, I did crucify the cross. I'm used to the crucified word and all that stuff. But that's a pretty extreme statement. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? I think Paul's intent is not as much to be offensive as, as it is to be strong and persuasive. Because he says this in other places in different ways. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. It is an incredibly freeing verse. In other words, it's, it's saying the same thing. There has been a death. It's been a violent, ugly end to an old economy of pleasing God in a certain way in order to be in a relationship with Him. And Jesus has done all of that pleasing so that we can be in that place with Him. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So one of the markers of Christ in our life is knowing that the old self has been crucified. We're always going to struggle with but knowing that it has been done away with. We are no longer subject to that. We no longer have to be subject to that. Maybe I should say that. Here's another mark. You know when that new life began. Uh, for most of us who are believers, there was a point at which we said, we, we said something specific in prayer to God. I believe that your son came to replace me because I needed payment for my sin. Because I had a broken relationship with you. He's the only way that can be made right. And I want to move into that relationship with you through faith in Jesus. Some of us know the exact moment that happened. Others of us, it was like a process. Some of us, it was like every Sunday for a long time. You know, or a bunch of different things. Oh God, did I get it right when I said that the first time? Yeah, so, so we kind of get saved 15 times or something. The beautiful thing is that the scripture tells us that once we have believed, that is an irrevocable thing, right? We can't be born again a bunch of times. We're born again one time. So there was a moment at which we crossed over that line. And that thing is done. Regardless of our immaturity, Regardless of the trouble that we have, 
When we have crossed that line, we have crossed that line. Okay? So a marker for us is the fact that there was a time when we believed. Even if we didn't know all the facts, if we didn't know everything, we believed that was when we came over into the family of Jesus Christ, adopted in his he lives in us after that. That is one of the markers. Another marker, and Paul shares this with us, is that we are driven by faith and not by works. Look at uh, verse 20. I think it's right in the middle there. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, I'm struggling with this whole thing. I'm still, you know, I've got this, this body on me, this, this sin nature that's still present with me. But I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, I know that things have not been made right yet. So the way I think that this might be played out as a marker in our lives is that when we pray, in a prayer, you might hear yourself say, God, I do not know how this is going to work out, but I believe that you are taking care of me. God, I cannot see the future in this. I cannot see you in this. But I know, I know by faith, that you love me, have died for me, and are walking with me in this. That kind of prayer, that kind of conversation with God confirms for us that we're, as much as we struggle, we are walking by faith and not by words. Do you see what I'm saying? There's one more thing. Another marker of Christ in, in you and I is that we recognize the incredible value that we have. Look at the last part of verse 20. This is, this is super powerful. This is like a game changer piece. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's another easy thing to skim over. It's just like five words within it. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Christianity is the only religion that you will ever find where the one who is the focus is the one who sacrificed himself. This is completely unique in Christianity. His sacrifice is a sacrifice that he would have made for you, it says in Hebrews, if you were the only person. This is the incredible value that each one of us have. The sacrifice that he made was because of who he was, was great enough to replace all of our debt. But if it was just you, you would have made the same decision. Because even an individual's debt, a broken relationship with God required a life. A perfect life. A perfect family. And so we know our incredible value. That is a marker of the mirror for Christ. So what do we do? What's next? And by the way, we're going to have communion in just a few moments. So this is a place in, in that communion time where you can begin to take some of this with you in a practical sort of sense. Uh, let, me, let me say this. The next step is not doing stuff. The next step is relationship. See, we have a God that can be known, wants to be known, it wants to be invited into relationship with you. He gives us that privilege somehow to invite him into relationship with us. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship. 
So a couple steps to a healthy relationship, and I think all of us know what these are. I think I've got three here. Number one is set aside time. You have to have time to have a relationship with anybody. When I made this trip back to Dallas the other day, the week before I went, I scheduled out my time, and I had to pick like four or five people that I was going to spend time with, because it was going to be so crazy. And I had to say, okay, I'm not going to spend time with this person who I love and care about. I'm going to spend time with this person for the relationship. It was really hard to do. And some people asked me to do some stuff. I was like, oh man, I just can't do it. So, you know, times. I planned the time I would have with these individuals. Because it's so important to set aside the time to spend with a person to get to know them and to be with them. Um, for me, and I told you this, and I'll tell you again. For most of my life, getting up early was not an option. I'm, I'm a late night person. I do not like to get up early. That has become the time that I need to, to find a little bit of quiet to be with God. But even better for me is to take an afternoon or an overnight just a quick camping trip and have a plan. What I'm gonna, there's no cell phone, there's no computer, there's no way for me to get distracted. And I have a plan for how I'm going to spend time with God. That's how I do it. There are a million ways to do it, but that's how it works for me. And I was very much free when I found out. I could set aside, it didn't have to look like, like I had all these kind of these heroes that, that could get up at five and spend and read the Bible. Well, for me, getting up at five and read the Bible means not because I don't love it, but I can read the most exciting, the most meaningful part, and it's just I'm not there. That's just me in the world. But Getting away on purpose with a plan to spend time with God has made all the difference. So I just want to encourage you, find the way that works for you to spend time with God. Because we're reduced to just doing stuff to please God if we don't have a relationship. So we have to have the time. So we, And when, when our friends who are skeptical of Christianity have been judged by Christianity, and Christians all think they're just better than when they see us just in relationship with God, that will change their reputation of Jesus. Okay, so spending time. Another another piece is to talk, but include listening. But this is the hard part, especially for us guys. Right now, I know everybody's not married in here, but one of the things I've learned over 25 years of marriage and in six years of dating is that I should listen before I say something. I don't know if any of you guys can, can identify with this, but there's this thing that happens where Claire will tell me stuff, and then I will say, well, this is how we can deal with that. And here's the list of ways that we fix it. So I don't know if any of you are familiar with this issue. <laughs> no, all you guys are like... <laughs> there is a time we have to learn not only to communicate, to say things, but to listen. And that's where prayer, God is with us, and we can talk to Him. We can share everything we need to share we need to also take time to listen. And that's why it's important to get away, to step away from everything else and have a plan to listen. Let me listen to you. I'm just going to write. I've told you what I'm thinking. I've told you what my concerns are. This is all messed up. My life is just jacked up. What do you want me to hear from you? Just let me, let me, let me read in your scripture. Let me see what that says to me. Listen to him. And, and here's one other thing. Uh, is to, uh, when you want to get to know someone, 
You might read stuff they have written. Right? You might uh, listen to stories about them. You might get to know other people who know them. You might spend time with those other people who know them. Right? Because you, you want to learn more about who they are. And that's part of what um, Al was mentioning this morning. The fellowship that we have together is a time where we come together to be with people who are seeking after them. So when we see each other in town, we know that that's a deep part of what our heart is. And we're encouraged by that. We gather around with people who are doing the same thing. We hang out with people who love him. It's great for me to be around people who love Claire. I'm like, oh, you're right. I forgot that is an awesome part of who she is. Right? That's what I said. It's the same thing with God. Because I'm constantly drifting back and forsaking my relationship with him, straddling that line of faith and trying to be who I was before. And somebody reminds me, hey, you know what? It's like this. So, how do we experience the reality of Jesus alive in us? We need to ask if we're straddling the line. We need to ask, what are those markers of being alive, having the life of Christ in us? We need to move forward in relationship first. Uh, let's close with this. Uh, I was at breakfast the other day uh, in a restaurant here, and the owner of the restaurant, the chef, He's always teasing me about what I do. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know God, right? I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah, I never know what to say because it's so awkward. He's like, well, I'm doing everything I can to be in heaven with you, man. I'm like, okay. It's this weird sort of interaction that we have where all I'm seeing is this idea that he is convinced that there's certain things that you do and don't do to know God. It's so built into him. It will be so free that God ever gets a hold of his heart and, and shows him that it's about a relationship and not about being something, doing, checking some box, or not having done something because I know that there's stuff that he must have done that he thinks disqualifies him. Just as much as you can't do things to enter the kingdom of heaven, you can't do things to prevent yourself from entering the kingdom of heaven. Did you think that your sin was bigger than the blood of Christ can cover? Is that possible? Think about that for a second. You've got to let that stuff go. If you think you can please him, you have, you have to think that you can displease him as well. Both of those things are incorrect. It's about relationships. And so Lisa's going to lead us this morning in communion. Uh, if those of you who are going to help with that in mind coming forward, um, I just want to encourage you with that thought about relationships. Um, I'm going to pray for us and we'll get Father, we, uh, we come to you now, Lord, this stuff uh, that Paul is sharing, the way he shares it is so complicated. Um, but he's sharing something that's so simple, so important. I pray, God, that we be able to uh, to sift through and hear your truth very clearly, Lord. Anchor ourselves in what you have and who you are. And, and God, uh, I think I especially pray that for those of us who are believers in here, that we would own so deeply the relationship with you. God, that the people that we come in contact with will see that, will know it, will see the ring on our finger. 
that we'd be attracted to you instead of turned away, instead of your son having a bad reputation because of us, because of the church. And there is uh, so much more to knowing you and being filled by you than we possibly could understand our rest. So I just pray for that for this, this little group of uh, folks who want to follow. <coughs> In Jesus' name.